Welcome to Conversations for Course Creators, a podcast for entrepreneurs who share their expertise with the world through courses. We'll deep dive into online course creation and the topics and products related to courses, including books, virtual summits, coaching programs, and a myriad of training tools available to us today. All right, let's get to it. Welcome to this episode of Conversations for Course Creators. I'm Lucas. I'm your host. And I want to start tonight's episode off with a little shout out to our friends in New Zealand. And if you're wondering why in particular I'm shouting out New Zealand, it is because New Zealand is the second most listens on the globe for this show, which was a little bit of a surprising um, I guess you could say, uh, finding in the analytics for the podcast, I was looking through where our listeners are and who's listening the most. And I, I mean, naturally the, the United States where I live and, and where the majority of my audience resides was the leading country, but I could have sworn it would be Canada, um, next or maybe one of um, our European uh, friends. But it turns out that New Zealand is the second most listeners for this show. So big shout out to New Zealand. Um, in in particular, uh, Waikato and Wellington. Those were the two places in New Zealand that had the most listens. So I've never been in New Zealand. If I ever get there, I know I've got some friends to hang out with. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. Um, big shout out to New Zealand. All right, guys. So tonight, before we get started on the primary topic, um, I want to talk a little bit about what I wrote in or wrote what I wrote about in this week's newsletter. And if you're curious about the newsletter, you can go check out um, the link that's posted in the show notes for the newsletter, or you can just go to www.marinotraining.com and you can see the sign up for the newsletter at the bottom of the homepage basically on the bottom of every page on the website. And uh, I would love to have you guys there. So give you a little bit of early access to the same information. But I wanted to cover the topic from that newsletter before I go into tonight's um, lesson. And in the newsletter, I talked about giving your, your learners what they need, nothing more and nothing less. So I start out by asking people, have you ever signed up for something and thought, man, this is going to be so awesome. This is so exciting. This is going to be the best, whatever. Um, this will be the best thing ever, right? Like best concert, class, party, whatever. This is going to be the best ever. And then it, it like really was the best ever until it wasn't right. Until you had had too much of a good thing, right? Um, I'll spare you guys the C story because uh, that didn't turn out too well for me. Uh, involved a little bit too much tequila in Aruba. <laughs> you can use your imagination, but um, I'll go with a better, I'll go with a cleaner story. So when I was a kid, I loved to ride roller coasters and I couldn't wait to ride every coaster in Bush Gardens, Williamsburg, which is the local theme park here. And it's my, my favorite park. Um, and I used to ride those roller coasters until like my head was pounding with headache and I was on the verge of like seeing my lunch again, right? Like I was barely hanging in there. And it makes you wonder of like, why would you do that, right? Like, why do you have 
to indulge so much in something that you're enjoying to the point where you're you're physically sick from it, right? It's pretty it's pretty wild that we do these things as humans. Um, basically, I'd had too much of a good thing, right? And you couldn't convince me to stop until I had too much of that good thing. And there's like no one there to stop me and say, hey, you know, you've reached your limit. You shouldn't ride any more rides. <laughs> I'm all in, man. I want to I want to ride all the rides, right? I want to get on every one of those rides until I just don't want to get on them anymore. And as servants to our clients, our learners and our readers, we want to provide all the value in the world that we possibly can. But it's hard for us because of that. It's hard for us to think about what too much value looks like. How can we provide them with too much of a good thing? Well, it's definitely possible to do that. It's definitely possible to provide too much curriculum, too much content period. On the flip side, we can also be concerned with providing far too little of a good thing, right? Not enough curriculum, not enough great content. So we're forced to strike a balance. And this can cause a lot of course creators um, anxiety and a bit of angst and causes them to second guess the course they're building and whether they're building it properly. So it can get really tricky to decide what stays and what goes when we're in that kind of position. Well, luckily for us, there is a fairly simple and logical way for us to avoid overdosing our learners on content awesomeness, right? So if you'll recall back to earlier episodes of the podcast, <clears throat> I had outlined that you need to focus on the learner's desired outcome. Learners buy outcomes, not courses. And when you focus on the learner's desired outcome, you can ask yourself, what can they achieve once they complete this course? What are they going to have as an opportunity for an outcome? Then the second thing we're going to do is we're going to focus on their learning objectives. And we're going to ask what actions and steps must the learner complete to achieve the outcome we talked about in step one. And then the third step, and this is the last of these three, and uh, this one's key, is to teach them what they must know to achieve those objectives. Nothing more, nothing less. So we know they came to us to reach a desired outcome. We have to teach them the things they have to do to reach that outcome. Those are the learning objectives. And then we're going to teach them exactly that. Nothing more and nothing less. So once we've done that, we kind of have this path ahead of us. We know where we're going. We know how much we need to teach them. And we know what the minimums are, right? We know if we don't provide them with everything they need to reach their desired outcome, if we don't provide them with the learning objectives and being able to meet those learning objectives, then we're not providing enough. And if we provide too much information, we've surpassed the learning objectives. We could be potentially overwhelming the student. So you want to provide the content that helps your learner meet every learning objective in your course. You want to build and deliver one objective at a time. Focus on keeping it fun, engaging your audience, and keeping it as simple as possible. And once you've built the curriculum to meet all of your learning objectives, review the curriculum and see if there's any excess fat to trim. Is there anything that is 
just a little bit beyond what's necessary. If so, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to trash that material. You can place that excess material in an additional resources lesson or an additional resources folder. It's something you can provide them for after the class or the core curriculum is done when they have the opportunity and maybe the desire to dive deeper into the topic or into a certain aspect of whatever you're teaching them. And they can do that outside of the formal course material. Now I do this in every one of my classes. I'll provide an additional resources uh, chapter of lessons at the end of the course. And I put it after everything else. And I tell them it's there. Like, look, there's additional reading resources. There's additional uh, checklists, links to websites, articles, whatever. Go check out the additional resources if you want to learn more. Now, if you can do this, you're ready to rock their faces off with just the right amount of awesomeness, right? And if you're worried that this approach will cause concern amongst your students, I want you to think about this, right? There's two big concerns for online course purchasers. These are your buyers. These are your learners. One, and this might surprise you, they oftentimes are worried that the course will overwhelm them and contain too much information for them to digest, and then they won't finish the course. And they don't feel like if they can, if they can't finish the course, they don't feel like they're going to get their money's worth. Think about that for a moment. If they feel like it's too much, that they're going to be overwhelmed, it's going to contain too much content, they will be intimidated by that volume of content. And this is fairly common. And then they're also concerned that if there's too much content, they'll lose interest and they won't finish. So I just named two key problems that course hosts experience um, with potential buyers, right? People that are shopping for courses. They have to worry about showing them too, too much and causing them to worry about overwhelm. And they have to avoid showing them too much so that they don't feel like they'll lose interest and never finish the course. Are those problems caused by too little or too much content? That's right. Too much content. It is possible to have too much of that great thing. Okay. So that's the big kind of lesson learned for tonight um, before we move into our little mini lesson here. And our lesson tonight is going to be about assessments. And if you're wondering what the heck assessments are, this is where we're going to talk about a, a, an aspect of curriculum, something you can build into your courses. Assessments include some of those dirty words like quizzes or surveys, tests, examinations, things that people kind of cringe at when they think about the experience that they have to have with courses, right? Like we may not feel bad building these things for others, but um, one of my clients put it really well, and he said, I want to make sure that my my learners can see that they're going to have a fun experience, that the course is going to be fun. And no one thinks taking a test is fun. <laughs> and I, I can completely understand that, right? So why do we have these things? Like, why have assessments? What's the point of quizzes, surveys, tests, and exams? Well, it's really simple. Quizzes and tests or and exams have very particular purposes. We want people to be able to recall information. 
And this is when we can use quizzes, for example, or tests to gauge the learner's ability to recall the information they've learned. Now, I'm not telling you you have to have quizzes or tests in your course. I'm, I've actually built plenty of courses that do not have quizzes or tests, but you're probably familiar with your formal education requiring you to take plenty of quizzes and tests, and that's because they needed to make sure that they could measure your ability to recall the information they provided you, and then they could call your education a quote unquote success. <laughs> right? Now we all know that that's not necessarily a guarantee of success, but I did want to bring up the fact that that's what they're intended to do. Quizzes and tests and exams are meant to have you take the information that you have learned and then recall it, be able to recall it correctly. So why would we do this? Okay, let's look at a really basic example. So in my book, Monetize Your Book with a Course, uh, I think it's page 19, I have an example of a quiz objective, right? So the learner will know how many pieces of bread they need to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's the learning objective. Every question on a quiz or a test or an exam should be related to something we've taught them. We don't want to try and use these as stump the chump or gotcha type moments where we ask them a question about something outside of what we've taught them. That is a very quick way to upset your learner. It's not fair to them. If you're going to ask them this question on a quiz or a test or an exam, you have to make sure that you provided them with that education first. So they're recalling something they've learned. That's the key. They're not trying to recall something they haven't learned. That wouldn't work. This is why tests that ask questions about information outside of the curriculum do not pass the test for... <laughs> all right, that's a, that's a bad pun. Uh, they don't pass um, muster with true curriculum development experts. Okay. So if our objective is to have our learner know exactly how many pieces of bread they need to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, then our sample quiz question may sound something like, well, how many slices of bread do you need to make a single peanut butter and jelly sandwich? And then we would provide them with some options for answers. You could have two answers. You could have three, four, five answers. You want to have an appropriate number. In the book, I use four, right? I just picked a general four answers, which is fairly standard on quizzes. And the first was option A, one slice of bread. Option B, two slices of bread. Option C, three slices of bread. Or option D, five slices of bread. Now, Remember, the question was, how many slices of bread do you need to make a single peanut butter and jelly sandwich? And you're probably sitting there thinking, well, I've, I've made a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with one piece of bread before because I had one piece of bread and that's all I had. And I made my peanut butter and jelly sandwich and it wasn't quite the, the sandwich I wanted, but that's what I had. Um, but is that really the right answer? No, right? We all know that the proper peanut butter and jelly sandwich should have a two slices of bread. Now I've made sandwiches with three slices of bread before <laughs> because I like to eat and I love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So I might choose C, three slices of bread, but that isn't the right 
answer according to the information I learned in the course, which very clearly taught me to. So this isn't about my opinion or what I like. It's about what I was taught and recalling what I was taught. So you can see where this could get tricky for people, right? And I'm using this example not to be ridiculous and try and make you uh, hate me for talking about peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I'm just stating that I gave you a very simple question and I gave you four very simple options. And then I gave you reasons why several of them could be possibly misused as answers. And logically, B is the best answer, two slices of bread. But some people would say, I've done it with one and I've done it with three. Um, you're probably not going to find too many people that say they've done it with five, <laughs> right? So D is the throwaway. That's the crazy answer. Um, but you have to be able to recall what you actually were, were taught. And so in the course, we would make sure that if we asked a question that was asking for a specific number of things or down to that level of detail that we actually taught them to that same level of detail. So you want to make sure that your quizzes or your tests or your exams, the questions match what you've provided them and the purpose of that quiz, test, or exam. So we're supporting a course objective and we're doing it in a way where we're recalling information that we were actually taught. And that is, honestly, that is at its root what those things are designed to do. They're designed to reinforce my understanding of the objectives by making me recall the information. And in my brain, I'm having to apply what I learned. Now, you and I both know that that is not the same as asking them to actually go make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and then rating them on the quality of that sandwich. That would be more of like a live practice, right? Application. Some people call that a practical. And we used to do this a lot when I taught technical courses. We would teach people about how to repair a piece of equipment. And then we would take them in the lab and make them actually repair the piece of equipment. And so they were tested in the class on their knowledge about the system and how it worked and what the components were. And then we would take them out in the lab and make them do the work on the actual engine so we could see that they actually understood what we taught them and they could apply it in the real world. And that's called a practical. And the quiz can never really be a practical, right? A quiz can never really fully test someone's capability to do what you've taught them, but it can test or quiz their ability to recall the information you have passed to them. So I want you to understand what seems like some pretty simple uh, nuance there, but it really matters. It really does matter when you're creating your course. Um, now, of course, when you're creating these, these quizzes, you can, you can assess their ability to recall that information through multiple choice, true or false, or even fill in the blank type questions. And if we want to have like a really long quiz, if you're developing a quiz and you find that you're getting up to like a lot of questions, that's not a quiz anymore, guys. That's a test, okay? A test is really a very big quiz. <laughs> I'm trying to keep this as generic as possible so you guys will go, yep, that sounds about right, right? Uh, typically, tests will carry more weight in a final grade on a course than a quiz will because the test has um, more content, more questions, and the 
the questions may carry more weight per question. So in quizzes, you may have like all your quizzes together, maybe 20 to 30% of your grade, but your test might be like 50% of your grade. And so you can see that all of my quizzes together may not actually meet the power in my final grade of one single test. And that is exactly why you have small quizzes sprinkled throughout a lot of your academic type courses and a really big midterm exam or final exam or test in a course. So you understand quizzes, you understand tests, you understand exams. What about this tricky thing called a survey? Well, a survey is used to get people's input or feedback regarding the course material, but we're not looking at right or wrong answers. With quizzes, tests, and exams, we're looking for right or wrong answers. We're looking for a correct answer. But with a survey, we're asking for input or opinions. So we may ask them to um, assess uh, their understanding or their appreciation for a certain topic in the course. And I, like, for example, I might ask them to list all the ways that they can apply the lessons they've learned to their actual work. And then they can go in and they can list all these reasons. And what you're doing is you're getting them to think. I ask them specifically, how can you do this stuff? How can you take this knowledge and apply it to your work? And it gets them in the process of thinking, well, how can I do that? I can take all this stuff I've learned in this course and I can use it here. I can use it there. I can make this happen. I can make that happen. And this is a really powerful thing for the learner to do. But there is no right or wrong answer. I'm asking them for their opinion. I'm asking them for them to tell me what they think they can do with it. And I'm not going to grade them on a correct or incorrect answer on that survey. It's merely gathering their input or feedback. And that is the big difference between a quiz with fill in the blank answers and a survey. So what about these exams? And then we'll wrap this thing up. Exams, what's the difference between an exam and a test? Well, exams are normally very formal. They carry significant weight in a final grade, much like tests do. And this is what kind of sets them apart. Normally, they're grounds for achieving a specific result. For example, you may attend a course to learn a specific um, skill uh, for like a certification exam, right? So I, I used to teach project management courses uh, and project management exam type courses. And you had to pass this exam to gain your certification. And that examination wasn't just uh, asking people very simple questions with very simple answers. Oftentimes with exams, you'll see scenario-based questions or a lot of context applied to a question. And then they ask you to think through a process and choose one of um, several options available to you. So it's like a test on steroids, right? And it also has a specific result. I want you to become certified in a certain discipline. It's not just, did you pass or fail a test? It's, did you pass a certification exam, right? Um, and it oftentimes has a passing grade, just like a test does. A minimum test grade or a minimum exam grade for you to pass that course or pass 
and, and achieve that certification. So exams are normally owned or hosted by a formal organization that issues some sort of credential. And that's not always the case, but that is often the case. And in academic settings, your exam may be the very last big thing in your course, and it may require a minimum passing grade for you to satisfy all course requirements. Never mind if your learner aced all of the quizzes and homework, they must also achieve a minimum passing grade on the exam or they don't pass the course, right? So you can see where an exam is used a little bit differently. It's not just I'm weighing points from a final test into your grade. An exam could be a pass or fail, um, regardless of whether you did the rest of your work in the class with perfection or not. That's the joy of exams. So that's going to be it. I'm not going to bore you guys with any more tests, quizzes, and exams. In fact, you probably won't hear me mention these in another podcast for quite some time. But I would be remiss if I didn't do this at least one time and and show you guys the difference between those different assessment types and um, express to you very clearly when it's appropriate to use them in your courses and to require them of your students. Because not getting that right can be very confusing and it can take away from your learner's experience. And anything that distracts them from learning and applying what they've learned is a failure on your part, not theirs. Okay, so that's it for tonight. Um, I appreciate you guys tuning in. The, 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 the show is doing great. Our listenership is up. We're on all the platforms. Um, you guys have been amazing. Uh, the, the people that have sent me emails about the show, I really appreciate them. If you've left comments on your um, on your podcast platform of choice, I appreciate them. Please keep them coming. I would love your feedback. If you have a topic you'd like for me to discuss, send it on in. Um, I'm planning some guests uh, a little bit later in, in the year. So stand by for some of that. That's going to be fun. And we're going to be bringing you guys some news from around the course creation industry and even some book um, industry type stuff as well. So, all right, guys, uh, I'm going to part with uh, one little plug. It would be remiss if I didn't give you a call to action, right? And that call to action is to go to www.merino.com. And I want you to check out the brand new monetize your book with a course community. And the community is a pretty flipping cool thing. I wish I had had this type of community when I started my course creation journey. It is going to be a lot of fun. We talk about book projects. We talk about course projects. We talk about marketing these things. We talk about selling these things. We talk about creating these things. We're talking about all the stuff. We even talk about course technology. Um, I mean, you name it, it's, it's, it's in the community. And it's a place where you can find some support. You can build some friendships, some relationships, and you can learn a whole lot. Live events, um, special curriculum and resources provided to community members only. And it's on a subscription model. So you don't have to worry about you know, this, this huge upfront cost to get into the community. You can get it at a very reasonable monthly rate. And I would love to see you guys there. So please consider joining the community and I'll see you guys in the next episode.